and now an ad from dad <clears throat> all right save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with progressive can i take these off all right what is this this looks good wow that's what man where did you get this i'm talking to you with the hair yeah where did you get this it's good stuff that's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. He did the, mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to your favorite horror-related podcast, your one-stop shop for horror news, spooky stories, and real-life tales of the unexplained. You are listening to Monsters at Midnight on the Zima Podcasting Network. I'm your host, your favorite escaped madman, loose on the airwaves, terrorizing your eardrums. Matt Schaefer. With me today, we do not have the doctor. He is actually asleep in his coffin right now. And you know what they say about poking the sleeping vampire. You don't do it. Under any circumstances, you don't do it. However, today I do have a guest with me who I'm very excited to have on the show. Someone I've wanted on the show for a while. This groovy ghoulette, Joel and Dormady. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, you are listening, presumably, unless you are like me and can't keep up on shit, you are listening to the November edition of this podcast. Now that the glorious time of October is behind us, we are back to the monthly schedule once a, uh, once a month, for those of you that don't know what monthly is, apparently. Man, we are off to a banger of a start, aren't we? Uh very sleep deprived. Again, get that out of the way now. So whatever happens here, the rest of the show is no mystery. Uh, be sure, as always, to check out the other shows on the Zima Podcasting Network. You've got World of Wall with your host Will Gil- Gilbertson, always talking about whatever crazy shit he's up to. Uh, Live in the Dreamcast, hosted by Brian Annis and Will Gilbertson. Your one-stop shop for video game news, video game opinions, all things video game like. I believe Killing the Dream, Mason Berkshire's show, is making a return. Um, Graham is not here to confirm that, but I, I've heard rumblings in the ether. I've heard a great voice from beyond saying that it might be raking, making a return. Uh, and then, as always, you have Graham's uh, baby, Live in the Dream, the podcast where you shoot the shit with Graham for an hour or so. And you also have Mac Schaefer's, not to be confused with me, Mac Schaefer's podcast. Uh, wow, I'm not remembering the name of that at all. That's That one's gone. It's all about adaptations about book adaptations if you if you like it you've been listening to it already uh you have grams uh or not grams uh the uh conspiracy guru for all of you wingnuts out there probably a good counterpart to our show yeah um again grandma's not here so i can't speak to the status of the website always keep 
checking the Facebook page, checking iTunes for news about the uh, website. It should be going up within the next couple months or so, though, and you will find archived episodes, uh, news, full news, full playlists. Otherwise, if you're subscribed to us on YouTube, subscribe to us on iTunes. We appreciate you greatly. Uh, well, that's enough plugging the dead, man. Um, let's get to what we do best and talking about scary shit. So bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn out the lights. Monsters at motherfucking midnight rides for November with special guest Joe Lynn. We're going to start off as we always do with a little bit of news. It's been a, it's been a good week for, uh, horror movie news, um, there's been a lot of tasty tidbits being dropped about the new Halloween reboot. We've been talking about that show or that uh, movie to death, though, so I'm going to let that one simmer. Uh, and again, no sponsorship, but if you want to keep up to date with horror movie news like I do, bloodydisgusting.com is where I go to. It will give you uh, shit about movies, video games, anything your creepy little heart can desire. Um, but we're going to talk about something that is very exciting to me. The Criterion Collection, the pre prestigious film catalog for DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, re-releasing or releasing in general films that are culturally, aesthetically significant, have just announced that they are re-releasing Silence of the Lambs because uh, they did have the rights to it once upon a time, but they are finally re-releasing it. And something I am incredibly excited about, they are releasing Night of the Living Dead, which I thought was long since overdue because that movie is public domain and anyone and their uncle can release Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Jolyn, what do you think about this news that the Criterion Collection has picked up these two great horror titles. Well, that's really exciting. Uh, I mean, because Night of the Living Dead, you'd think that would just be a given. Um, but Silence of the Lambs, I'm really excited about too, because I'm I'm a huge fan of that movie. I'm a huge fan of that book series. I, I love it, um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited that they're including those two. They're really they're appropriate. No, yeah, it is. I think it is great news, especially since uh, with the death of both of those directors. Actually, Jonathan Demme oh. died earlier in the year. George Romero, of course, oh, yeah. died in July. So there was rumors that Night of Living Dead was going to be getting a release for quite some time. It's well deserved. Absolutely. I am quite ecstatic because uh, Night of Living Dead is one of my favorite horror movies. I think it is also, in this day and age, it is an, an important fucking movie. We got The Walking Dead, zombies all over the place. Everything owes it to that movie. Might be one of the most important. Honestly. Exactly, yeah. Something that I'm excited for that they teased is that on this new release of Night of Living Dead, they're going to be releasing a never-before-seen cut entitled Night of Anubis, which is the original title, Anubis being the Egyptian god of the dead, which George Romero later changed the title because he rightfully thought that no one would know what the fuck Anubis is. <laughs> uh, there isn't a whole lot of details about uh, what this new cut is going to entail, but what do you think about that? That sounds fucking sweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's exactly what I thought. Uh, the rumor is right now that 
It will not include any of the lost footage that the original distribution company uh, wanted cut. Yeah. So if you're looking for any more gory uh, tidbits for Night of the Living Dead, unfortunately you might not be getting that with this cut. Mm-hmm. However, I think it has some, there are some alternate takes being uh, that they're teasing a different format and sound presentation which I think is uh, technically interesting for those of you that are into the technical aspect of film. Um, otherwise, they are also releasing the uh, uh, some groups of 16mm dailies, which are some uh, probably going to entail some unreleased footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you are into Night of the Living Dead, the Criterion uh, release is sometime in mid-February. I want to say the 18th. So that's not Valentine's Day, is it? Is no, that I think 14th, 14th okay. would be Valentine's Day. Well, it'd be the perfect gift for your Valentine anyway. I mean, <laughs> I'd certainly accept it. Uh, yeah, uh, Silence of the Lambs. I think Silence of the Lambs getting a re-release on Criterion is also fantastic. Yeah. Because uh, Criterion reached out to Jonathan Demme's estate or his uh, advisors or whoever, saying that we would love to re-release it. This is his crown jewel. Um, especially since uh, it used to be on Criterion, it's nice to see that it will is having a re-release. Um, I'm still holding out for Michael Bay's The Rock to be re-released on Criterion, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so yeah, uh, look out for those titles in February. Um, that's really all I had for news because... Uh, the market's been flooded right now, or at least my feed has been flooded right now, with the news of of the Halloween reboot. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about the Halloween reboot all throughout October. I just saw... Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, we've been talking about John Carpenter, too, because he just had a new album. So we're going to talk about... Let's talk about something that is... Uh, I think spooky enough for this show and something that we both me and Jolyn hold near to our hearts. Let's talk about Oingo Boingo, Jolyn. Yes, let's. How did you first discover Oingo Boingo? Oof. Um, okay, well, I had heard their hits, you know, of course, like Weird Science, Dead Man's Party, uh, Little Girls, all those were, you know, used to those. Uh, and I had one of their... Um, their what is it their first album the self-titled that's only like it's like four tracks yeah the demo like ep yeah yep. yeah um so i was aware that they existed but i wasn't um as into them as i was now until i saw forbidden zone and forbidden zone fucking blew my mind <laughs> i mean that's an insane beautiful goddamn movie and um it's just about the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen. And I mean, just, it just seems like a whole group of friends getting on screen and making a movie. And that's, that's like the ideal, you know? So I, once I saw that, I was just like, I, I need to look into these guys a little bit more. And then I did. And then I was like, everything they've ever made has been glorious. Where have I been? <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I forgot to preface this for those of you who understandably might not know what Oingo Boingo is. They were a, uh, well, it's going way back. They started off as a, uh, a theater troupe entitled the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, uh, run by Richard Elfman, 
he, uh, and if that last name sounds familiar, it's because his younger bro- brother, Danny, be- later became the front man for the band when they broke away from the theatric the theatrical cabaret troupe that they were and became a new wave band that was actually a pretty big part of the California new wave movement in the early 1980s. And if you still don't know who Danny Elfman is, I bet you know his music. If you've seen a Tim Burton movie, if you've seen Nightmare Before Christmas, you have heard Danny Elfman. And he also, he did the Simpsons theme. Did the Simpsons theme? (laughs) He is an incredibly versatile composer. He, there's another theme that he did. Oh, um, well, I I pointed this out to you the other day. He just did the score for Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades Darker. Yeah, that fucking, I would never have guessed that, but... Good. Make yeah. that money. No, absolutely. Um, dirty money. <laughs> he uh, um, he also just provided the score for Justice League because he did the scores for Tim Burton's Batman and Batman Returns. The dude's versatile. Um, if you are a fan of the cartoon Dilbert, he provided the theme for the cartoon Dilbert, which is actually just an instrumental of the Oingo Boingo song Forbidden Zone. How did I not know that? The, I know. I is no it, that Will sent me that, actually. He sent me a link to the Dilbert theme. He's like, did you know Danny Elfman did this theme for this? Holy and God. it was literally just Forbidden, Forbidden Zone. Zone. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, Forbidden Zone was a movie that came out right before they became like a rock group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Elfman directed and wrote it. Danny Elfman did the, and Oingo Boingo did the music for it. Super low budget. Oh, I'm yeah. talking, I'm talking like fifty dollars, looking low budget. Um, but it that's part of the charm of it, and it's also I think part of the charm of Forbidden Zone also is its lack of taste. Yeah, no, it's super <laughs> racist sometimes, but like about everybody, so it's somehow kind of okay. Right. It's like it's. Sort of like a precursor to South Park, where it holds no bars, uh, makes fun of every everyone and everything. Mm. Um, very exploitative. There's, like, naked women for no reason. Oh, yeah, there's one character, the princess. She just walks around with her tits out. Whole thing. Yep. Whole way through. Yep. No shirt whatsoever. It's uh, definitely... It, but it's, like, it's one of those movies where it's, like... You can't even be mad because, like, it fits. It fits, and they made something so bizarrely their own that, like, I hope that, like, my first feature film is something kind of like that, where it's like, I don't even care what anyone thinks of it. Just making it to make it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think and that's something we t- uh, we talked about is the idea that it just it felt like fun to make it, and mm-hmm. it was just like they had an idea, they ran with it. Um, who plays the midget in that movie? He's I can't oh, remember his he's name. He's really notable too. Yes, because um, he's from uh, oh, God damn it. Fantasy Island or whatever that old TV show is. Yeah, and he died not not too long after that Hervé it's something Hervé Valachez how many look it up French yeah I'm gonna look it up right now um because he is also he plays uh one of the henchmen in one of the James Bond movies the man with the golden gun huh now that I didn't know um but good you you audience would probably know him if you saw him he is I guess one of the more prolific 
uh, midget actors, which is a phrase I never thought would come out of my mouth. <laughs> but um, so you discovered, yeah, I think everyone, especially if you're a John Hughes fan, everyone knows Weird Science. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually discovered Oingo Boingo through my mother because Hervé Villechez. Oh, you're close. Yeah. Um, and he was on the famous TV show. It was Fantasy Island. I thought I just pulled that out of my ass. But yeah, he was the one who rang the bell and said, the plane, the plane yeah. in Fantasy Island. <laughs> um... Yeah, I discovered Oingo Boingo through my mother, actually, because uh, her and her sisters were really big into them in college, because that was, uh, they were, they must have been into that new wave scene. I know my aunt really loves the police and Sting. Uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly how they discovered Oingo Boingo, but my mom showed me them when I was young, because, or at least Dead Man's Party when I was young, because... She knew that I liked The Nightmare Before Christmas. And Danny Elfman provides the singing voice of the main character, Jack Skellington, in that movie. And my mom played Dead Man's Party for me and said, listen to this and tell me who this is. I knew right away that it was Jack. I didn't understand that Jack had a rock band at one point, though. There is... They definitely have a cult following. They're not like... There, you still like when you say Oingo Boingo, you you kind of get an odd look, but like when you say they did weird science, more people are on board. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience with like introducing people to them or finding people that know them? Because I always think it's super interesting when I find people that know who these guys are. Yeah, well, normally people recognize the name, right? Like it, it sort of rings a bell, but they don't. It's sort of once you go. Once you say, oh, uh, I was listening to Oingo Boingo, and then you're like, oh, Danny Elfman's band from the 80s, um, then they're kind of like, oh, yeah, right. Because I, I think a lot of people are vaguely aware that, you know, he he did other things before he became a composer. Because mm-hmm. he, he didn't compose for anything until, was it was his first composition, Nightmare on, or Nightmare I think it was uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, yeah. Because oh, that was okay. also his first collaboration with Tim Burton. Okay, yeah, then... But that wasn't... What year was that? Oh, that's a good... That might have been, like, 86. Because he was still with Oingo Boingo. Because okay, yeah. it, was, it was the mid-90s when they broke up. That was when he was like, I'm, I'm sticking with this. Mm-hmm. This is just the way I want to go from now on. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, it took him a while to sort of start composing. Um, so he had to do something to sort of lead up to that. Um, it, it's normally I get weird looks when... Uh, uh, if I've gotten to the point where they know who Oingo Boingo is and we're discussing that, then you sort of bring up, like, oh, yeah, did you know there used to be this weird-ass, like, vaudevillian sort of variety troupe? And mm-hmm. they're just like, what? No. You know? Um, <laughs> but uh, have you seen the episode of The Gong Show that they're on? I have not, but I oh did know God. they are on it. It's so weird. Like, it's even weirder than I thought it ever could have been. Um but I love it. It's, right. It's, it's great. It's just, it's off the wall. But I can see, I mean, I can see why it sort of morphed into more of a set band. Because it was just kind of like a slew of people fucking around in mm-hmm. the best kind of way. No, but, yeah. That's, yeah, that's super interesting. And it's super interesting that uh, 
Because they definitely, they go on a serious uh, career trajectory and they change their sound several times throughout their career. Because oh, yeah. even like, I've gotten to the point where if I need to introduce people to Oingo Boingo, I will play Little Girls for them right away. Because like, if, if the problem with it is if you show them like Dead Man's Party or even something like Grey Matter or Who Do You Want to Be Today, mm-hmm. all songs through like the middle of their career when they had more of a... Uh, contemporary sound yeah. as it were uh, if they really get into them they're gonna find what the fuck is this weird song that's basically about pedophilia yeah, yeah no it's good to sort of like shove that in their face right away right you know I never have actually looked into it I don't know if you have but like do do we know why he wrote that song or why there I found was a, just to like fuck with people yeah I, I found a about? vague answer um Thing, yeah, Elfman likes little girls. It's it's and. you heard it here first, <laughs> and like in today's Hollywood climate, I oh god, no. I mean I'm not going to accuse Danny Elfman of anything. I know anything. I was going to say that wasn't a real accusation. No. I was joking. Um, oh god. No, uh, the thing is, and we're not making light of anything happening in Hollywood. Hollywood's fucked right yeah, now. Yeah, not really. Um, the thing is with uh, what I've read about uh, him interviewing with Only Lad and uh, or about Only Lad, their first studio album, mm-hmm. which is su- still very different. It's not like vaudevillian different, but it's not quite the contemporary punk rock that it would become. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very absurd. It's a very uh, it's a very funny album. It's sort of like the in between. Yeah, and like Danny Elfman has stated that basically, like it was sort of like with what they did with forbidden zone he just like was out to piss people off basically because like there's a song called capitalism Mm -hmm. which is like as like most right wing as you can get and if you know danny elfman he's very much not a right wing person Mm -hmm. little girls was about honestly he has stated it's about like the music industry and about Uh, like exploitation which is honestly i mean yeah that's incredibly accurate yeah and it's also also very like true to what's been happening and and it's plus even if you just think about like teen pop stars and how sexualized oh yeah it's like it's always i mean i guess that happens with guys just as much but at least guys are wearing clothes when they go up there for the most part that's very true um so yeah he's basically said that only a lad was just not necessarily a gimmick, but, like... A big fuck you. A big, big fuck you <laughs> to establish government, politics, and then people who prey on small girls, basically. That sounds about right. Um, that's why I ask it. And it's also, like, a, it's a big fuck you to music critics, critics too. There's that song, Imposter, which is literally just saying... Oh, so you don't know how to make any music, and you're telling me how to make my music? Go fuck yourself. It's it is. I don't know why I said uh, it's not punk rock. Only a lad might be their most punk album. Yeah, in it's, all it's honesty. I was gonna say because even if you if you hear only a lad, it's like that's pretty pretty punk. Oh yeah, the the, the actual song only a lad is yeah. all about a like a kid that like kills people pretty much. Well, yeah, he's like a little heathen, mm-hmm. but he's only a lad. Yes. <laughs> he is only a lad. Um, what else is there? I mean, I could talk about Oingo Boingo for hours. What's your favorite Boingo album? Oh. Um, wow. I guess I might say... Oof. I really like Good For Your Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oof. That's tough. I mean, because part of me, I just want to be like, skeletons in the closet, because it has so many of their, like, hits. It's like a Grace Hits compilation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's rough. I guess I'd probably say good for your soul. I, gotcha. I can, I can commit to that one. Well, you've got a double recommendation from us, folks. Uh, good for your soul is probably my favorite album by them, too. <laughs> um... I have, I mean, and we've been talking about this album a lot recently because of a secret project that we've been collaborating on. Um, Danny Elfman's quote-unquote solo album, which was basically just came from the fact that they were changing record companies and couldn't immediately use the name Oingo Boingo to make an album. So that was Danny Elfman. What's interesting about that album is Danny Elfman basically wanted to make a pop album, but it still came out like a Boingo album. <laughs> I guess I can hear how that would be a little bit more poppy than some of their other stuff, yeah. but yeah, interesting. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's like that much more poppy than the rest of anything they've done, you know? Mm-hmm. Huh. No, because, uh, yeah, there are cuts on that album that sound like they could have like been used on Dead Man's Party or yeah. even Good For Your Soul. Um, also, I want to shout out the 1990 release they did, Dark at the End of the Tunnel, because... Uh, I have a weird soft spot for that album, and no one really seems to talk about that one, yeah. um, other than the fact that like Flesh and Blood was on the uh, Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. I do like Flesh and Blood. That is uh, another thing about Oingo Boingo, is they have songs in a fuck ton of movies. Oh, I know, and it's like, I didn't even... So, this is kind of off topic, but... I'm a horrible person, and as much as I'm obsessed with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I had never seen the sequel mm -hmm. up until this year. Um, and I had a friend who who did a number as Leatherface. It was a drag performer who did a song as Leatherface. We will talk about that later as well. Um, but the song she did was um, No One Lives Forever. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't get it at all, but then I realized it's because it was in um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 uh, during, like, the car chase scene. And I was just like, holy fuck, how did I not realize that? That is amazing. That, it's an amazing movie. I still need to see that one, actually. Oh, God, it's so good. It's like, because I've heard it's like the Evil Dead 2 of Texas Chainsaw, isn't it? It's so ridiculous. And... Oh my god. Um, you know the dude from, what's his name? Bill Mosley from. Uh, oh, from um, Devil's House, Rejects, yeah. Yeah, House of Thousand Corpses. He plays this character called Chop Top. Right. And apparently, like, I was watching a documentary on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I just sort of caught the tail end of this, but apparently he was in, like, sort of a really low budget, kind of like just indie film that was sort of based off the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and he was like a truck driver or something. Mm -hmm. But, um... Oh, God. Don't... The director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Toby Hooper. There we go. <laughs> I was like, it starts with a T. How can I blank this? Right. But apparently he saw that film and then he just really dug how Bill Mosley played his character. So he's just like, um, you should, you should just be in my movie. That's awesome. Movie. Yeah, and... Yeah, because I have heard so about Chop Top. I just have not seen. He's the movie. so unsettling. I like. He looks unsettling enough on his own, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he just he plays it remarkably. Because Bill Mosley, you know, he's just yeah. fucking creepy. Yes, he is. He's just a 
He's just not a right-looking dude. No. Um, you brought up something I wanted to circle back on that I'm spacing. Oh, um, Texas Chainsaw. What's his? What the fuck is his name? <laughs> We're bad. Um, the guy who plays the sheriff in that movie, who is like a prestigious actor. But he's also like insane oh, and shit. uh fucking blue velvet what the fuck is his name oh god why can't i think of his name because the pressure's on and he's in the super mario brothers movie too um, oh shit oh my god um it is i'm looking him up because i am spacing hardcore and i'm embarrassed because he's literally one of the most famous movie actors ever especially for blue velvet it's not coming to me either. We're terrible at this. Yeah, I, wow, this is fucking fucking. <laughs> what is this? Dennis Hopper? Jesus oh, wow. Christ! Oh my He's God. in that movie, yeah. and that's another reason why I want to see that movie. <laughs> I can't believe. Oh my God! Oh my God! He's like only fucking one of the. Have you seen Blue Velvet? I actually haven't. Blue Velvet is very good, and if you want to unsettling performance uh dennis hopper really gives a banger in that movie um yeah uh, everyone should check out blue velvet um uh you brought up texas chainsaw uh jolyn is quite the horror fan which is why i brought her on um jolyn talk about horror for me when did you start getting into horror um it's actually kind of funny um all throughout childhood i I wasn't super into it because, uh, I mean, I'd only really seen modern horror movies and they were all just like tits and torture porn. Mm -hmm. Um, But, well, at least at the time, because this is like early 2000s, you know? Right. Um, It was a bad time for horror. Well, and it's like not all of it, but a lot of it was pretty bad. Right. Um, well, because a lot of it copied what was successful. Yeah, it's like when, and not very well. When Saw and Hostel came out, yeah. all of a sudden there were thousands of just throwaway... Torture porn. Yes, torture <laughs> yeah. porn. Um, but then uh, Halloween when I was 13, because like, I was into creepy shit. Like, I was always super into Halloween, and we always like decorated our house insanely. And I was in theater, so I was like, I was really into creepier plays, like The Crucible and Macbeth. And I listened to, like, Alice Cooper and, and stuff like that. So the my mind was there. Uh, but I just, because I'd never seen anything older. Um, but then when I was 13, that Halloween, uh, me and my sister, we had a Halloween party. We just watched horror movies. Um, so then that night, I think we watched, I know we watched The Shining and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was The Exorcist. And I want to say Night of the Living Dead. All great choices. Yeah. And my mind was fucking blown. Um, I remember, I I think, I don't know if we started with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that was the one where I was kind of like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And then like, (laughs) and then we got to The Shining and then I was like, wait, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Right. And then it just sort of changed, changed my tastes. And then I started looking into like older and you know more indie horror films to sort of find the things that weren't just the mainstream horror like you know garbage that was being released around that time um and yeah and and now i'm this weird horror fanatic that's awesome nothing weird about it you that's why i knew you'd fit right in for this show um so i'm assuming texas chainsaw is your favorite uh, horror movie. Yeah, yeah, I guess because it's hard for me to commit to just one like that because I'm like, I'm also 
because I guess right around that time, or maybe even a little bit before then, but I didn't really realize that this was a horror film. Like, Army of Darkness was a big selling point for me. Um, I love Army of Darkness. Yeah, it's so goddamn good. I love the Evil Dead movies oh, in yeah. general. Yeah, so it's like, so those are really far up there, too. And of course, I'm, I, ha- I have, <laughs> I'm really into The Shining. I have a the maze tattooed on, on my body. So that, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. Um. Oh, I lost it. Wow. Yeah, I, t- I told you folks. Uh, sleep. It was a long day yesterday. <laughs> turned into a long night. Um. No, I did. I'm not hungover. Uh, I already hear you uh, <laughs> typing away out there. Um. No. Uh, let's talk about Texas. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The uh, for a while because um. Toby Hooper died in August, and we brought it up on the show, but Graham, admi- and he admits to it, isn't a huge follower of that movie or Toby Hooper. Ugh. I've got someone who loves Texas Chainsaw. I love Texas Chainsaw, so let's yeah, talk about let's why that movie is great. Okay, so <laughs> um, to start out with, like, simply the effects of, in that movie, um, because, okay, it was it was filmed in Texas, and the heat was unbearable. Mm-hmm. Um and the guy who was doing effects, he, a lot of, like, the blood and gore they used were, like, taxidermied animals and shit like that. And, like, real, like, leather and, and whatnot. So it would smell like shit, you know? Mm. And, of course, like, everybody's sweating. So, every like, even the individual people are just smelling like garbage. But, like, everybody still committed so hard to that movie. And... Uh, towards the end, Sally, when she's, like, running away, the reason she's limping is because she was actually injured on set, but she just, like, kept fucking going. And, mm-hmm. um, that is remarkable to me. And, like, still to this day, nobody says a bad word about Toby Hooper. At least not to my knowledge. Maybe they do, but they can suck a dick. Because they <laughs> like, that movie is fucking amazing. And, I mean, I feel like it changed a lot of, of cinema. Because, I mean, there was there were a lot of things around that time that were really um, exploitative. And, uh, you know, they, they were gory. They were all about the blood. Um, but I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was kind of the first one to really sell it and make it seem like, this is real, this could happen. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it always just seemed like, oh, crazy guy, really theatrical, you know, chainsaw, whatever. Well, I guess chainsaw, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think it was the first time where people saw that movie and were just like, "Did we just watch a documentary? Um, are we? Is this a real thing? Is there like mm-hmm. this masked murderer out there with like wearing people's faces?" But no, yeah, it's. Uh, I think you uh, you brought up something that's really important about that movie is the realism to it. It yeah. feels just the way it's shot. I think that's one of those movies where like some low budget movies, like it's like. As much as I love the first Evil Dead, it's like it's one of my favorite horror movies. But oh, there are yeah. still times where it's like, yeah, they just didn't have any money. Well, yeah, like I don't know if you've ever uh, noticed this, because like when I'd first seen Evil Dead, I saw it on VHS, so I don't think you can really notice it as well. But now I have it on DVD, and at one point, the moon is just like cut and pasted onto it a is shot. Legitimately, and I was just like, yeah. "Are you fucking kidding me?" But at the same time, it's like this is Evil Dead. Like they, yeah. They, did you hear about the way they raised money to do that? Like they, they would just go to like doctors, yeah, and lawyers, like and rich shit. people yeah. that they knew of, with this like sort of you know the short film that he had made, and and he was just like, 
here's this. Uh, we want to turn it into a feature-length film. Give us your money. Right. And, and I guess they did, which is which good. That That's is fucking That amazing. is great. No, I knew exactly what you were talking about because, like, I must have originally watched it, like, on a, a TV that had, like, a darker contrast. Yeah. Because yeah. I never noticed it until I, like, watched it on a different screen or yeah, got it on like Blu-ray or something. Right. I was like, That is just wow. just, like... And then, of course, the one that uh, Bruce Campbell always points out is when uh, uh, Cheryl gets shot in the face at the end when she's a deadite. There's you straight up see the tube that's like <laughs> squirting the blood out. Oh, no. It's and so it's like it's things like that where it's like yeah they had no money. Well yeah, but like but I mean Texas Chainsaw Massacre barely had any money and you can't tell for a goddamn minute. That's that's the thing. It's like I don't know what magic they pulled off with Texas Chainsaw. I blame the effects guy. Like the because that whole when I learned because there was um apparently when they were filming the first scene there was a dead dog that they wanted to film mm-hmm. um but for whatever reason they couldn't use that shot um, but then the same day they found. Like, on the road, as actual roadkill, a dead armadillo. Mm -hmm. And they really liked it. So he just took it home, found a book on taxidermy, taxidermied the armadillo, and then used it for the shot. And I was just like, that's amazing. That is amazing. And that's, like, that's one of... that's like the opening shot, and yeah. that's like that's one of those things that sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. that like, opening and shot. And it's so simple that you would think, like when I, when I first saw it, like the first few times, I didn't realize the effort that he put into like actually taxidermying <laughs> is that a verb? Right. Um, this armadillo. Um, like I just figured they just filmed Roadkill, and I mean that's cool, but that didn't take much effort. Like I mean I didn't consciously think that, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought, wow, this shot is really legendary. Mm-hmm. But it still stuck with me, you know. But then later on when I found that out, I was just like, wow, they really <laughs> commitment. <laughs> the oh whole, yeah. The whole team was just like, fuck yeah, we're making this movie, and and we're we're fucking doing this. No, <laughs> yeah, and I think that that renegade attitude. Uh, which we love. I mean, oh, hell yeah. We love that renegade attitude about filmmaking, music in general, I think. Yeah. I've become punk in my old age. <laughs> um, I th- and, like, what I was going to say is the uh, the low-budget look for that movie helps because it's like what you said. It feels gritty. It yeah. feels like... It doesn't feel like a set. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it was something, like, planned. It feels like... We just stumbled into the weirdest community in Texas. Yeah. And it it's like it looks like something you would be watching in like a biology class. It, For real. It it's it's and everyone in that movie, there's a lot of like I love original Halloween's my favorite movie. But great performance. I love the characters in that movie. Great actual performances is something that movie lacks. There are some seriously like good perform at least when the shit hits the fan. There are some good performances in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and especially like from the the family, yeah. the people that the guy that plays the hitchhiking brother and the old man yeah, with I the know. barbecue shop. Holy shit! They are both fantastic. They're unsettling. But then, because I was watching the documentary on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and um. The, the guy who, who played, I don't know if he's the, he, he has like the, the weird teeth that he runs the barbecue in, in the sequel. Oh. And he does the same thing. Oh, yeah. The, um, so the father. Yeah. I don't know I what gonna, his, I I was gonna what say his the name dad, is. I was going to say the name, but I didn't know. Um, 
But yeah, he he's like such a cute old man in the during the documentary, and mm. I'm just like, you don't seem unsettling at all. But in that film, he was fucking terrifying, you know. He is terrifying, and uh, same with Gunnar Hansen. He just, oh yeah, he's, he seems so charming and nice, but he he killed it, and nope, well, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was Jim Sidow plays? Oh yeah, he actually has a name. <laughs> this family has names. <laughs> Drayton Sawyer, hmm. and then John Dugan played Grandpa Sawyer, okay. and then there's Leatherface. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie, I love the subtlety of that movie because it sets up, it tells you a lot, mm-hmm. but it never explicitly tells you like it all. It it's all hinting that they're family. Mm-hmm. It's all hinting that they've done this before. Right, it's not really hinting. It's very obvious they've done this before. But, like, the thing that becomes such a key part of the franchise that's never really said in the original movie is that they're cannibals. Yeah. Like, you can pick... I think that's brilliant that, like, it's there, but it's not, like, explicit. Yeah, it's not said outright. Well, and it's like, I wonder if that's just us... Like, knowing this is based off Ed Gein, so of course they eat the people. Right. Um, but I suppose he does, like, you know, in that room with the... There's, like... Isn't there a giant fridge in that room where he sort of hangs mm-hmm. around the meat hook? So I'm like, that's kind of... Yeah. Yeah. He's probably going to eat that person later. Um, and just, yeah, and just the whole, the whole dinner scene, it's... Oh, it's so scary, but it's so simple. It is you know? so simple. The, that movie uh, has more artistic more artistic flair than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Well, because it's so detailed. It is. They really, and, like, I go back to the set because that was, the guy doing the effects fucking nailed it. Like, he just, he was trying to find a way to make every little bit unsettling, so no matter where you looked, you were like, that's, uh, that's really fucking creepy, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he succeeded. Oh, um, yeah. Um, the cinematography strikes me yeah. the close-ups on the eye that mm-hmm. opening shot of the armadillo yeah uh there's just a lot of very like it almost ahead of its time i mean like you i mean you watch the movie and you're obviously like all right this is the 60s this guy looks like john denver she's wearing a boob tube and like cr- uh cut off uh shorts mm-hmm. it's like this is the 70s but it's not shot like like any other movie would have looked like in that no, era. No, it's really not. Well, because, like, a lot of the movies of the 70s, it, it's hard to generalize just that largely, but I right. mean, it's like, if they were making a horror film, they were they were just making a horror, fi- horror film. They weren't mm-hmm. trying to make it artsy. They were trying to make it, like, brutal you know for low budget stuff like that yeah it's like they were they were focusing on the effects of like the gore and they were focusing on like the sort of contrast in in that shot but they weren't they weren't thinking like how can we film this dead body so it looks really pretty too you know but no that's that's um because obviously like the big budget so like the omen looks great the exorcist looks great jaws looks great obviously like those movies look great because they're like they're big budget they were yeah i I was talking more of like yeah but like movies like i like i spit on your grave and the last house on the left those movies weren't made to look like someone was thinking behind the camera per se yeah it's more of just like they're focusing on what's Let's make this look like we're actually killing somebody. Right. You know? And they're you focused know. on the content and not the presentation. Yeah, which is like 
that's not to to knock any of those movies, honestly, because I'm like, I I love those movies too, but Mm -hmm. that's really what sets the Texas Chainsaw Massacre apart, Mm -hmm. because they they really focus on the details, not just in the killings or the the blood, like, that wasn't the focus that made you, that scared you, it was everything, you know, and when you have all those outside factors, you know, playing into the terror, you're you're like 10 times more terrified. Mm-hmm. I think that's what sets uh, that movie and uh, the likes of Halloween mm-hmm. apart from uh, more grindhouse type exploitation films is because uh, they um, definitely uh, were more interested in the broader scope. They, it's more than just an exploitation film. Yeah, and it's, it's less of... I mean, because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is obviously very bloody and there's a lot of blood, and that's a big, major point in that movie. But it's not, like... It doesn't seem to be the main focus, you know? And I think that adds something. It's like, actually... I've some At some points, I think it's very implicit. I don't... There's a lot of points where it's like... Especially when... Uh, uh, oh, fuck it, the movie's like 50 years old. Um, 40. Can't count. Uh... When uh, Franklin gets butchered in the wheelchair, mm-hmm. that could have been a lot more grotesque. Yeah. But it's very implicit. Mm-hmm. Do you know why they kept it so a lot of it so implicit? I'm gonna guess because of the heat, because <laughs> that was probably like. But, but I'm not entirely sure. Or it could just be because they didn't have much of a budget, and the effects that they were using were more geared towards like making the whole set and things that they can use over and over again mm-hmm. a little bit easier or maybe it was a limit on time i i'm not sure maybe it was like a an outright decision like maybe they didn't want to to make it all about blood and gore which is what i would like to think that they did toby hooper wanted to be rated pg no shit. He wanted. I didn't he, realize you were asking me that. Like you knew the answer. No, okay, it's we well. Go. I I liked your theory. I'm sure all of that played a factor. But I've re- they wanted to get as many people into the theaters as possible. He wanted it to be rated PG. Holy fucking shit. Which how how exactly? <laughs> the movie's called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was never going to be rated PG. Right. And that was back when like PG meant like fucking Temple of Doom is PG. Yeah. That should have been rated R. Yeah, like but also it's like you can't, you can't. No, you can't. Face no, a yeah. Movie off of Ed Gein and then go. Let's make this PG. No, and that was because it's family friendly. Yeah, exactly. Back in the day, what you had G, P, G, R, and then X, and like if you got an X rating, you were either porn or something that just was not going to get a wide release. Same thing today with NC seventeen. Yeah. There was R, which was purely for adults. PG, which was adult, but it was like. You just like you supervision would have been apt, and then G, which was like generally everything is okay. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Like how? No, it's and no, I know exactly. I thought the same thing. It's like I re- I forget where I read it, but he wanted it to be rated P. I read they wanted to be rated PG. I'm like, how did they think they were going to? Like, yeah, sure, they may have cut a lot of, like, gorier bits out, a lot of blood out, but it's like, implicit or not, that girl gets hung on a meat hook. Yeah. Franklin is sawn in half in a wheelchair. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like, props for trying, though, I guess. I, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, Toby Hooper, what a loss. I know. And it's like, I try not to get sad over celebrity deaths, because I'm like, 
I didn't meet those people. I didn't I didn't work with them. I didn't know them personally. But I definitely cried when I heard about Toby Hooper right. because I was just like, I, he's not going to make another movie ever again. Mm-hmm. Never again. No, yeah. yeah. Um, especially, uh, obviously, Texas Chainsaw was a big deal in your life. Yeah. Um, it was the same thing for me when uh, George A. Romero died yeah. that, like, ruined my whole day. I drank, like, from when I woke up to when I fell asleep. That right. <laughs> well, I was... Deeply upset. I was on a mini vacation, so I couldn't oh, do that. That's even worse. I, I couldn't do that. I was just like, I went on Facebook and I was like, "Fuck!" The rest of my day is like r- absolutely ruined. Yeah. As soon as I got back home, I had to watch Dawn of the Dead. Um, even though I, I like Night of the Living Dead more. Yeah, I, I get it though. Um, I know I'm in the minority on that opinion, but yeah, uh, two great horror icons that were lost. It's already been like oh, it's already been two years since we lost Wes Craven too. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's uh, it's the reality of it. The day we lose John Carpenter is the day I legitimately go into mourning. Oh my god, I'm just like, I'm like gritting my teeth. I'm just like, don't kill off anybody else. Mm-hmm. Please. Right. <laughs> just, just wait. No, yeah. Just um, let, them, let them be immortal. Yeah, exactly. Because I just saw I just saw John Carpenter live again this weekend. Oh. Um, it just got his new album. He's probably my favorite director. So it's it's gonna it's suck. Not, yeah, Absolutely brutal. suck. Well, it's like I feel the same way with like Clive Barker. If oh Clive yeah. Clive Barker dies anytime soon, my life will be turned upside down. Oh, and think of like if uh, someone like Stephen King dies too. I'm just. I would be deeply upset. Half of me is definitely there. And I that's 100% I would be really sad. But also, like, at least he's made so much stuff. And, that's like, true. gotten so much stuff made into movies already. Because I'm like, at least no one's going to go, he could have done so much oh, more. Oh, that's true, you know? yeah. Because he, he couldn't have done much more. Because he's still, he's still fucking going. And that, that feels better, in a, in a sense. But I'm just like, I don't know. I was gonna It'd say, still be deeply upsetting. Oh, yes. Um, Stephen King is also one of those people that could like drop everything and then just coast for the rest of his life yeah. and be comfortable. But that's why that's why I love him so much is because he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's like still writing shit with his sons and like, you know, constantly, you know, like getting stuff turned into TV, mm-hmm. movies, whatever. Well, yeah, you just had like two or three things hop up on Netflix exclusively. Yeah, yeah. Um, for Gerald's game is good. I need to check that out at some point. I'm actually it's it's in my messenger bag right now because I I haven't read it yet and mm-hmm. part of me it's like if I haven't read something by the time a movie comes out, part of me wants to wait and see the movie first and then read the book mm-hmm. because then it's like I know that's kind of the opposite of what most people prefer, but it's like that way it's just elaborating on something yeah. that you know has has less material to it instead mm-hmm. of like the movie just ruining the the book right. for me. But no, that's what I did with American Psycho because yeah, uh, the novel American Psycho provides a lot more context. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not. I liked the book. I'm not too big of a fan of the book, quite frankly. And it's not even just like the sex and gore because I I ain't no prude. I'm doing a <laughs> horror movie show. But towards like halfway through the novel, it was very structured. It was like work, fuck a hooker kill the hooker and then that was just the way the chapters progress and then maybe he'd talk about whitney houston for a while i think i think the structure was 
probably planned it on purpose because he, you know, like how he describes his routine every day and how he does have a very set schedule and he's like, he's always very certain about when he's going to lunch. He's always very certain where he's going to have dinner um, and sort of like all of his dates are pretty well planned and all that. Um, so I think maybe that was that was sort of on purpose to, right. keep that, to keep that vibe. So it was like the book was set in the same schedule that he was. Yeah. But I, I see what you mean. I'm just like... This is a little blasphemous because I do really like that book, but I'm not a huge fan of Brett Easton Ellis because I feel like... Brett Easton Ellis seems like a shitty person. Well, it's like, I, I can't tell if he's being ironic or if he just can't write from any other perspective than that of a rich white dude. Yeah. But it kind of seems like he's just like, yeah, I'm writing about a rich white dude. Again, just different ways. You well, know? have you read interviews with him? Because... I've been getting two different stories. Uh, like, I've seen interviews with him where he fully... I'm forgetting her name. Because American Psycho, the movie, was directed by a woman. Yeah, and she fucking killed and that She shit. did kill it. I was, uh, I was so pumped when I found out that was a chick. I was like, thank you. And I think a woman did the screenplay for it, yeah. too. Yep. Um, it's actually the woman who plays the, the redhead that he kills when he's... Uh, hanging out with the yeah when the he eats her prostitute. out yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, who directed? It is directed, but that's the, uh, Wikipedia. Why are you doing this to me? Because it's edited by people, and people suck. This is well. It's just the first link was the novel and not the film, oh. which is like never the case. Mary Heron okay. it, it directed the movie, and I've seen interviews with him. I think on the DVD. Or he was fully supportive of Mary Heron, really liked her uh, vision, like the path she took with it. But then I've read interviews with him where he's like, yeah, women should never be allowed to direct a movie. Like, li- uh. like, like literally, I think one of the quotes I remember is like, what's the last good movie you saw that was directed by a woman? Oh, what and a I was piece of like, shit, dude. No. I was like, all right. I'm a... Oh, I'm so mad. That's such garbage. So what that's a, what why, a human piece of trash. Yeah, when you bring up, uh, when you brought him up, and you're like, I'm not uh, a big fan of him. I'm like, I don't think you should. I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I don't Holy think shit. you're wrong for I'm thinking. Gonna, I'm gonna have to look into that because I don't want to be super mad about it. If that's like, maybe I, there's contextual something. I don't remember. Like, it's been a while since I've seen. Because, like I said, I've seen. I feel like I've seen and read two different sides of him. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe he just was, like, proved wrong. Maybe that was him back in the 80s when all he could think about was snorting coke and that's fucking true. hookers. Because but. it's like... Because, yeah, then that's uh, very much what American Psycho is about, and it's also very... Well, it's like, um... What was that other... What was the, the movie that Robert Downey Jr. was in that was another adaptation of his... Uh, fuck. Um, it's, oh, I've heard of this, but yeah, I can't. I can't, I, can't I can't think of it immediately. I'll look it up. Okay, but it's like when Robert Downey Jr. actually was having problems with drugs, that he just played like a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God! And it has the chick from the Lost Boys in it. Oh, is it less than zero? Yeah, less than zero. Okay. Um, but a, yeah, so that's just another. It's another book about rich yeah. white dude yeah. and his rich friends. You know, and I'm just like, eh, man. <laughs> and of um, course the chick has a coke problem yeah obviously because that's what rich white dudes do i guess well, i think what's interesting one thing that's <laughs> interesting is he wrote 
another novel. I forget what it's called, but he wrote another novel that I think follows Patrick Bateman's brother. Huh. That could be interesting. Because, like, he... Patrick Bateman isn't always in the forefront of his novels, but he is sort of a recurring character that he uses in others, other of his, others of his novels. But yeah, I can't, I can't get a good read on Brett Easton Ellis because a lot of his, uh, a lot of his fiction is from the, the stance of what it was like to be a rich white dude in yeah. the '80s. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, and like American Psycho, obviously that's like that's Patrick Bateman's character. He's homophobic. He's yeah. racist. He's yeah. misogynistic. And, yeah. But then like, it's like, does that reflect Brett, Brett Easton Ellis? Sometimes I read it does, but then I just read recently that he's like sexually ambiguous and doesn't want to conform to either being straight or gay. Yeah, I did hear rumors that he might have been a little gay. And it's like, it's like uh, you're painting yourself in a corner. It's like, what fucking side of an interview are we going to get with you this time? I think what it might be is that he could just have the sort of inherent bias that a lot of people do, Mm -hmm. Um, because maybe it his books could be satirical because that's what i have heard is that right. you know, a lot of it is satire um but so and i'm sure he's not to the level of i mean of course he's not to the level of patrick bateman i'm sure that is exaggerated on purpose you know mm-hmm. um but like i said he could just have those sort of inherent biases that you know even even people who can make fun of um how like racist or homophobic or whatever people are um they still have those kind of biases oh yeah ingrained in them so that could be where the woman director thing comes in because honestly that's not the first time i've heard that even from people i like and oh I'm just like, yeah well ah. no that's <laughs> no. um no yeah fuck it's that uh, enraged well it's, it's such a narrow-minded stance to have no, because know. it's like i think why i prefer the movie american psycho to the book is that woman's Vision, yeah. Because American Psycho, the movie, I find very funny. Because it's obviously making fun of those kinds of people. Yeah. Well, but and it's, w- it's just beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And it's a very, well, it's a very, yeah, it's like a grotesque symphony of mm-hmm. violence and mayhem and, well, and like, black humor. But then the book is just kind of like, well, like, how am I supposed to read this? If you are, like, a, a white male in the same, like, not the, probably not to the financial degree that Patrick Bateman is implied to be, but you're a white male, a po- empowered white male in that era. Like, are is this? Are you speaking to people you personally know? Are you speaking about yourself? It's yeah. just, I think, and that's what kind of muddied my interest in the novel because it's it started to seem more about more of a personal piece than a satirical piece. Yeah. Well, and you know, maybe in a sense, it is sort of like mocking himself maybe he is you know? right maybe it is sort of like taking what others would believe to be true and and just shoving it into their face you true know? um yeah uh so yeah fuck brett easton ellis for the time <laughs> being um but until ch- until i read otherwise and fuck him <laughs> right but then uh but check out the movie American Psycho if you have not. Especially if you like horror, it's it's going to do something for you. But if you like uh, black comedy, I really recommend it. Because some of it is absurdly funny to me. Yeah. The uh, business card scene in that movie kills me every, oh my God, time, I know. every time I see it. The delivery is so good. Christian mm-hmm. Bale, man. That's probably insane. his best performance. Yeah, no. It, well, that's. I'm not going to say yes or no to that, but it's definitely up there. Because he's, he's incredible. 
you know, he's that's fair. Okay, I should amend that by saying my personal favorite performance. No, that's fair. I mean, Um, it's it's definitely it's up there either way mm because he he really sells that, you know. And I mean, yeah, just the way his like face kind of vibrates after he sees the one, and he just kind of drops it. (laughs) He is so good in that movie. They all just look the fucking same. (laughs) Yeah, Jared Leto. Oh my god, yeah. Um. Jared Leto before he became whatever the fuck he is today. Yeah, I can't tell if I really like what he does or if I really hate it. Well, yeah, Jared Leto, again, seems like a whacked-out individual, well, too. Well, honestly, Christian Bale is a little bit, too. Cause Christian he, Bale's a bit of a dick, yeah. Well, and he just he gets very insane for his roles. Yeah. And, I mean, which is, in a sense, that's good. Like, method acting can go a long way, but also I'm just like, calm down, dude. You're going to kill yourself. Yeah, he, he just... He, does weird things like he just put out a shit pile of weight for a new role and yeah. then like famously for the machinist he was just he like skin skin and bones yeah. deeply, um, upset, deeply unsettling <laughs> i have not seen the machinist i actually haven't either so I, I that's one i, 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 I fuck the machinist <laughs> um your uh if, uh, for those of you who can't see, which is all of you, uh, Jolyn has these rad Quentin Tarantino gauges in oh, her I ears. Yeah. So actually, one piece of news that I was going to bring up that I forgot. Oh, Manson died. Is that what you were going to go into? Or Did he die? I think he died. Oh, fuck. I I'm knew he was sure. dying, but I didn't know he... I thought I read that he died. Oh, my God. I thought that's what you are going to... Because Tarantino's doing the movie on Manson, kind of. Did he die? I don't think he's dead. But oh, I'm he, crazy. Okay. He is... I thought I Charles thought I Charles Manson's condition remains a mystery, but officials say he is still alive. Um, that's a shame. That is a shame. <laughs> um, what I was going to bring up though Sorry. is no, it's fine. Uh, that, that blew my mind. I was like, "Fuck!" Yeah, I, really, like, I really thought he did. I don't know where. I, I knew that. he was dying, which is something I should have brought up too. But uh, I guess we don't even know if he's dying or not. I knew he was. The last I heard, he was in critical condition for something. Um, but no, uh, Quentin Tarantino, who it was rumored his movie was going to be specifically about Marilyn Manson, <laughs> Charles Manson, <laughs> son of a bitch, Charles Manson, not Marilyn. Um, I watch either of those movies, honestly. Quentin Tarantino, Marilyn Manson movie would be fucking insane. That'd be great. Maybe Marilyn Manson will do the music for this movie. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be really cool. Um, but, um, after the Weinstein fiasco, Ugh. he has a new studio. It's going to be done with Sony. Uh, so good on him. Yeah, good but, uh, he has cautioned people to say, th- readjust their thinking. That's not going to be about Manson. It's going to be about 1969. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, w- the way I read it was that it was going to be like Manson was going to be to this movie, what Hitler was to Inglourious Bastards. Okay. So it'll be like. I'm sure it'll be sort of about the murders happening, but maybe it's, like, from the perspective of a family in Hollywood that didn't get murdered. Maybe Mm. they're just hearing about it and all that nonsense. Or, you know, maybe it is, like, maybe we see into the cult a little bit, but we don't see a lot of Manson. But honestly, I kind of prefer that because Mm. it's, like, because Manson wasn't really there. Like, he he was in the background, you know, and and he was always sort of around, um, but... Because he took such a small part in the actual killing, I think it's good to play it the same way that he played Hitler in um, in Glorious Bastards, where it mm-hmm. was like he was in there for maybe like five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and then, well, okay, probably a little bit more than that, but, you know, barely no, yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Also, I'm kind of hoping that that means it's going to be a little bit like historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm open to the idea of uh, him doing something from that era because he's obviously... He's a whore for that period in cinema, mm-hmm. so it makes I'm, I think it's gonna be cool to see him tackle that era like actually, yeah. like it's a part of the story. And I'm hoping that like, cause I know he talks shit about Death Proof sometimes, which really upsets me, cause that's like one of my favorite fucking movies. He can suck a dick, um, but I don't, like, I don't like Death Proof. Ah! <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I like your gauge, but I, sorry. No, it's fine. That's fine. I like aspects. I like aspects That's of Death fine. Proof. I get it. I know. I've had this discussion so many times because it's, it's long-winded and all you deal with is like a bunch of chicks talking about nonsense for half the movie and then Stuntman Mike is only barely there. But that last bit, it just fucking... That... Zoe Bell, she does her own stunts. She rode that car. Mm-hmm. She, uh, no, that, that's so that's one of the aspects. I love Kurt Russell. I yeah. love that final chase. Yeah, I even... I love the build-up with the original group of girls. Yeah. But when... It's Rosario Dawson, they do and it, it's have like... You, have you seen the original release, like, when it was a uh, Grindhouse? Because that's what... Yeah, that's what... I've seen both. Because oh, I originally... The, the Grindhouse version, I think, is a little bit better, because they cut out a lot. Okay. Um, that's actually interesting, because they cut out the lap dance in the Grindhouse Oh, release. yeah, that kind of bummed me That out. sucks. Like, okay, what I liked about it, though, because Planet Terror did the same thing. Right, the missing real thing. Yeah, so I was just like, that's kind of great, because they, they take mm-hmm. out, like, the most sexual parts. Right, then... because that's something that would actually happen. Like, whatever CD fucking camera or a projector guy would be, oh, cut that out and take that home. Yeah, so that was fun. I thought that was fun. But no, uh... Uh, yeah, it's death proof, not for me, but, uh, I don't know. That's fine. Quentin Tarantino's 1969 might be cool. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and the reason I brought it up is because I, I would like to see him make a sort of horror movie mm-hmm. again, but oh, one yeah. that he actually likes, you know? Right. And one that he cannot talk shit about. Sure. Well, he talked, I think, uh, QT is interesting just because, uh, I think he's, uh, salty that it didn't make money. Oh, that could be. Because, uh, understandably, a lot of people don't did not understand the concept of a double feature. Like, it was yeah. 2007. Oh, yeah. And, like, being into retro shit wasn't cool yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, like, Quentin Tarantino was definitely pop because he just came off of Kill Bill. Like, he yeah. was invincible at that point. So, I guess he was I think, expecting to make a little Yeah, movie. and so, but, like, I think Kill Bill worked because it, like, Obviously, paid homage to westerns and samurai films, mm-hmm. but like it worked because it had a because an interesting it. narrative. Yeah. And then, like all of a sudden, he's like, well, "What if we did a fucking uh, double feature like they used to do?" And then all of a sudden, it's like, "Why? Well, I, I, I don't <laughs> like get a, it." Like a Tarantino impression. That's pretty. That's one of me and Graham's favorites to do. Because, <laughs> um, oh, um, I mean, I prefer. Because the thing, my problem with Death Proof is it's like, it's Quentin Tarantino writing a slasher movie. Yeah. That, and that's why, like, I personally feel it's long-winded. Well, and it's like he was kind of trying to do, it was like kind of a slasher movie, but he was also kind of trying to do, like, a like a 70s car right. movie. You know, like a muscle car movie. Right. Um, and I think that was the aspect that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, uh, yeah, I, I guess it was kind of a weird mix. Um, because it's like 
the beginning definitely did play like a slasher movie, mm-hmm. and then the second part is kind of is what, more what of like a car like, movie, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think maybe if he would have done one or the other right. specifically, um, that might have played a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, um, that's just me being a salty salmon. Like, if you, I like, I understand it has uh, a fo- like a ravenous following. I'm in the super minority that likes Planet Terror better. I will say I like Planet Terror. I like Planet Terror a I'm lot. Just, I'm a huge fan of Robert Rodriguez. I, I love he Robert Rodriguez. He is incredibly yes. talented. Have you seen El Mariachi? I love El Mariachi. Oh my God, it's so yeah, good. That's one of those movies. Oh. If I were to, in my ideal film school, that'd be like day one. This yeah. like this is what you can do with nothing. Well, like, and absolutely like, nothing. I just love his his way of being like, okay, I'm doing everything. Everybody fuck. Well, he doesn't say everybody fuck off, but right. he's just like, I'm gonna do as much as I can as one person, and then. If I need help, then I'll get help. Well, it's a, yeah, it's such a good way to teach yourself because it's yeah. like that's how you save money. That's how you learn what it's like in every aspect of making yeah. a movie. Yeah. Um, and I love I love him eye. for that. I love him for that attitude, even though like his latest projects haven't been so great. Are you talking about like uh, like which which thing? Um, I mean, Spy Kids four. Oh. Uh, but like, oh, uh, yeah. I didn't see that. Uh, I thought Michelle was that. Is that still under him? Is that still him doing? Oh that? yeah. Oh no. He did all of them. Oh no. Well, well he, yeah. Then he did like, fucking Machete Kills. Yeah, Machete Kills was lame. Since <laughs> Sin City two had its moments. I liked Sin City. I liked Sin City two, but like, I didn't love it like I do the first one. Yeah. I um. I, I I thought they were pretty comparable. I liked them both. Um. But. My thing, but like I give him a pass because I think it's nice that he makes movies for his kids, and he's yeah. just again like that attitude, like "fuck you." If you hate it, fine. But I'm yeah, doing this I, for my family. Yeah, like, no, I know, and I, I like that too. And it's like, especially because he's, I I don't know if he's tired of of taking himself seriously, right? But I think I think he took himself seriously enough. True. Because like with From Dusk Till Dawn, like the. Um, I the film. love um, From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah, me too. But it's like that's obviously. Like, he is kind of making fun of vampire movies, I'm mm-hmm. sure, at least to some extent, but it's it's not apparent. Like, he's, right, he's yeah. working real hard at that movie, you know? And fucking Tom Savini killing it all over the place. Greg oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yes. So no, that's... Uh, and everyone is so good in that movie. <laughs> I love George Clooney in that movie. Yeah. That's what, I haven't His seen... tribal next oh, tattoo. Yeah. I'm like, get out of here, George Clooney. I haven't he's seen him in shit. much, but I fucking love... Actually, admittedly, I've not seen him in much other than, like, Ocean's Eleven and... Batman and Robin, and uh, but I love him as Seth Gecko. Yeah, um, no, he, he does really well, and I like seeing Tarantino as a sleazebag because yeah. I'm like, that's probably you're just being typecast, aren't you? Well, yeah, it's <laughs> inherent foot fetish. I I know. Jesus, I'm like, you could make it a little less apparent, but I'm I'm like. What's funny is like Robert Rodriguez directed and shot that movie, and he still incorporates like Tarantino shit, like foot fetishes and like Maybe weird it's like a joke at this point <laughs> yeah like everybody just knows they're just like let's let's just fuck roll with this let's well yeah because like the salma hayek dance she like pours whiskey down her leg and he's sucking to on her I bet toes he, just, like, he was just like can you write this in fuck, can you please write yes. this in well he wrote the script <laughs> oh yeah shit. so he, he probably he's like and now I, I i mean richie gets to suck on god oh my god i love them both though have that, you seen The Faculty? Oh, shit. Um, I think in passing. Like, I think I put it on because somebody was like, you should see this mm-hmm. movie, and then I only saw bits. Because I've never... That's one of the f- few other than, like, the kids' ones he did. Like, I never want to see Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I never want to see oh, shorts. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty bad. Um, But 
I've still never seen The Faculty, and that's, like, one of his last, last like, adult films that yeah, I still no, I need to see. I didn't see it all the way through. Um, he's, I forget what his newest project is. He keeps bouncing back and forth between projects. Like, he, I think he's rumored to remake Escape from New York. Ooh. Which I think he's the guy to do yeah, it. Yeah, hell yeah. You totally fucking do that. Yeah. I would, I would see that movie, I mean, like, 12 times. Yeah, I mean, well... It's funny, you watch uh, side-by-side shot comparisons. All of his movies have ripped off Escape from New York in some way, shot-wise, oh, at that. least. I believe it. Um, well, but I mean, like, you know, if you're... I don't blame him. I'm like, you, you gotta draw inspiration from oh, yeah. somewhere, you know? Everybody's ripping off everybody. True. I mean, you look, look at Quentin Tarantino's filmography. Yeah. Um, love them both. I mean, and it's like, it's not even ripping off. I like, I use the term paying homage. Because, well, yeah. like, originality is hard to come by. I'm really of the opinion on how you sell your idea and make it your own. Well, and it's like, because it's so easy to sort of accidentally rip something off. Because it's like, you've seen so many things throughout your life. And then when you write or direct something, it's sort of in the back of your mind. And then, so, of course, you're kind of utilizing that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of better to almost do it on purpose. So then you're like, I really like this movie. I'm going to incorporate these ideas, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just, like, accidentally ripping something off. Because I've definitely accidentally ripped things off before and then had to scrap things. So oh, I'm like, yeah. wait, this is just Silence of the Lambs, but with a chick. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, um, he's super influenced by John Carpenter. I actually uh, rewatched Planetary recently because I did Grindhouse, the, like, the entire feature. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was watching it... I was like, this music in this one point sounds super familiar because it's a track that's actually straight from Escape from New York. Like, they oh. licensed it for the movie because I was like, was, they were making jokes on the set that that was like John Carpenter's lost movie. <laughs> it's very thingish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Um, well, it's also, it's very like everything. It's Escape from New York. It's, it's like, uh, Prince of Darkness. It's yeah. very John Carpenter. Um, so this has been a great show so far, and you were nervous. <laughs> no, um, we're gonna close out by uh, we're gonna talk about what Jolyn does for a living. Kinda. Kind I don't really. Of. I mean, I, I make. I don't really make money off of it. <laughs> well. But, and what she likes. Yeah, no, I, I still really enjoy it. So, I, well, I, I couldn't say I make a living, but I, you know, I, I do it because I enjoy doing it, and it's, you know, it's very hands-on, so it's fun. Wonderful. Um, um so yeah, uh, you may be wondering why we're talking about this on Monsters at Midnight, uh, but uh, Jolyn, are you in charge or do you work for them? Explain that to me. Okay. Um. So. I, well, what you just introduced, like, what, okay, what yeah. it is. Um, so there's this variety troupe called Cream City Cabaret, um, and it used to be, uh, they used to have a monthly show, uh, and it was, they do, like, drag and sideshow and burlesque. So it's, um, it's pretty much, it's just a lot of, like, independent artists who are also performers getting on stage and doing their thing. Um, and, uh... They used to have a different producer when they had that monthly show, and then she stepped down. Um, and at that point, I think I was working the door for them. I've, I've done a lot of things for this troupe. I, I started I started doing props, uh, doing what is called stage kittening, which is you clean up the clothes when when the burlesque girls are done stripping, or you know if you have a sideshow performer, you set out props. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
after that, I, I worked at the door for them. It was when they had a monthly show at Quarters Rock and Roll Palace. Um, and then after that, uh, the producer stepped down, but we were sort of doing like a show here and there, and it was just sort of like performer run. And at that point, I was sort of stage managing to make sure everybody got where they needed to be. Um, and then I worked with like lighting and sound a couple times, just if we didn't have somebody doing it. Um, and then eventually I took over as producer. Uh, because it was sort of tough for all the other performers to do it because a lot of those performers joined other troops um, to just sort of have a more regular thing. So now Cream City Cabaret is more of like a, a bookable variety troupe sort of thing. Um, like we, we work with this local band a lot, Something to Do, it's a mm-hmm. ska band. Um, they were at the show that... Saw, saw. I saw yeah. them live, they were fantastic. Yeah. They're, they're a bunch of handsome, really charming guys. Great dudes. Um, but sometimes they'll they'll have another band performing with them and then they want sort of a a closing show um so initially um one of the guys chris wrote is it okay if i plug this a little bit go for it okay go for it um so my my friend chris wrote this thing called lobotomy the musical and it was absolutely incredible and i keep trying to get him to run it again because it's essentially the history of lobotomy but set to punk rock music and he wrote it all himself it's fucking amazing and i just i'm just like chris run it again run it again but um (laughs) But so after that, he was looking for a burlesque troupe to perform at their after party. Um, and initially, uh, he contacted this group, Bruce City Bombshells. They're a more regular burlesque troupe throughout Milwaukee. They're great, too. Um, but uh, I think they were busy with another show, so they didn't get back to him. So then he, uh, he tried to get a hold of Cream City Cabaret. So my friend Kelsey, who was sort of new to the troupe, uh, she took over producing that show and sort of organizing it. And then that was when I was stage managing. Um, but it, it turned out to be kind of a lot. Like, stage managing and producing is... It's a lot harder than you think it is. It's a lot to, mm. to sort of handle. Um, so I realized it might be easier if they had somebody on who wasn't worried about performing that night, too. So it's like... So then I would just do all the stage stuff. I'd book the show, and then the performers could just do their thing and not worry about, like, oh, God, do we have somebody for sound? Oh, God, do we have somebody to do this? You know? So I, I sort of... Um, yeah, I just I run the run the, the backstage stuff now. That is fantastic. Um, so yeah, if you're confused as to why we're talking about burlesque on this show, you can go fuck yourself because <laughs> if you like grindhouse, you know what grindhouse theaters were built in? Old burlesque theaters. The term came from bump and grind. There's your knowledge. That's why we're talking <laughs> about burlesque. And because Jolin's a cool motherfucker. Thank you. Um so yeah, I saw uh, the weekend before Halloween, uh, me and Will, uh, the host of World of Wall and co-host of Living the Dreamcast, for those of you that fell asleep, mm-hmm. um, we went to see their show, that uh, one of the shows that they put on, uh, with something to do... Uh, Green Room Rockers. Green Room Rockers, the other, the other and then it was the Cream, uh, Cream, Cream City Cabaret. Cabaret. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic show. Both the bands were phenomenal. The girls were phenomenal. Um, here's the thing though, uh, I don't know for certain, cause I don't talk to a lot of people about burlesque, admittedly, but I feel like burlesque and like, whatever, going to a strip club are lumped into the same category. Do you agree or disagree? I think, um, a lot of people sort of draw the line between burlesque and stripping as burlesque is classy stripping. And we really don't like that um, because strippers aren't not classy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're doing a service, and 
it's it takes a lot of work and they make the money that they deserve and it's not it's not demeaning it's not trashy it's it's a business you know and and burlesque is a lot of the same thing um the difference i might um i might put to burlesque is you get a lot more freedom um in terms of performance so and i i don't want to this i don't know if if this is accurate about all strip clubs, but I would say that burlesque is a little bit more body positive because I know a lot of strip clubs sort of have a very strict idea of the hot girl and they sort of adhere to those. That's what I noticed rules. about your show and that's what I applauded of that show was it was... It's very body positive. It was, yeah, it was not all legs, all... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. was great. Um, and it's like, of course there is a place... For that type of woman but there's that place for every type of woman there's that and i mean there's also male, male burlesque there's what's called boylesque um boylesque yeah it's actually it's really fun um i'm sure yeah you can you can have a lot of fun with uh with boylesque but you know it's it's really for everybody it's it's for any body type any gender any personality like you can really you can really do whatever you want with burlesque and it's very like i said it's it's independent artists so you choreograph it, you know, you pick the song. A lot of people, like, edit their songs a little bit. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just, it's all about, you know, confidence boosting, feeling good, you know, being being yourself up there, which, not to say stripping isn't great just on its own, like, at a strip club, that's great, too. I love tits. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, like I said, with burlesque, you get a little bit more creative freedom, and I think that's why a lot of people really like it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, yeah, actually, I was going to ask what you thought the appeal of burlesque is, but I think you answered it. Um, I think that's great. The body pos- body image positive thing is fantastic. I'm all for that. I I love me some thick girls. I'm going to say that. But I, I love all shapes and sizes. Um, but... Uh, I think I think that's awesome. I think again, like, because it wasn't just it was. I think the variety of it too mm-hmm. is what's exciting. You go to a strip club, you're gonna know you're gonna get a pole dance. Yeah. With I didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. with that show. I think. I, correct me if I'm wrong. There's a certain theatricality to burlesque. Oh, yeah. Okay, almost definitely because it's it. You know, it's it sort of draws a lot of its inspiration from vaudeville. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you know, you do get a lot of. I mean, some, I've definitely seen a mime act before. You know, no some, kidding. Yeah, people use, like, really creative props sometimes. Like, I think once somebody did balloon animals. Um, that's right. Yeah, people people get crazy. I know, like, you know, a lot of people use fans. Like, that's more of a traditional burlesque thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, um, my old roommate, Reina Fuego. Reina Fire, her Facebook name is Reina Fuego. Go like her, she's great. Um, but she makes and uses her own fans um, remarkably well, mm-hmm. gotta say. Um, but yeah, and, and yeah, it's it's just about limitless. You can do almost anything up there. And that is, that is fantastic. Especially, I mean, we both have theater experience, and we're obviously both fans of cinema. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a great contrast to have. And those, those yeah, and those, I admire anyone that puts them a stripper, burlesque dancer, Chippendale. I admire anyone that puts their body out there on the yeah. line. Yeah. Like that is. I don't know if I could do it. Like, I'm not, like, like shy, per se, or I'm, like, ashamed of myself, but it's, like, that's that's some doing to, like, commit to that, and I applaud that fully. Um, 
Yeah, and like you said, who doesn't like tits? Yeah. Uh, so th- <laughs> yeah. there's that. Um, if you are in the Milwaukee area and you happen to see a show for Cream City Cabaret, check them out. Yeah. They, you are bound to have a good time. Especially, I mean, it's almost fucking Christmas at this point. Yeah, but uh, if you circle back around to next year, uh, you're going to see some cool Halloween-themed shit. Oh, yeah. Th- that was... That show was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The music you used, the costuming, f- phenomenal. Um... Katie Cadaver was her name? Yeah, the last performer. Oh my god, she's amazing. I just recently started working with her because um, uh, she reached out to me because she was working with a troupe and there were differences. So she was like, hey, I'm just trying to find a way to sort of connect with other burlesque performers. And I was like, that's perfect. I know a lot of people and you seem fucking great. And you, like, because uh, her, uh, she does the makeup for Rat Bat Spider, which is a, a local band uh they do misfits covers uh they also have some original music um they're fucking great too Mm -hmm. um but uh so she i knew she was gonna be a little creepy and i'm like i love creepy let's do this um but her number blew me the fuck away Mm because she did she did like a zombie number um and then the opening song what what was that from it's from don the dead the goblin soundtrack Mm -hmm. don the dead um and then it it eventually turned into uh the song that trash in return of the living dead dances to like on the grave Mm -hmm. and i fucking lost it because i like i knew she was doing a zombie act i saw her doing her makeup but i did not realize how amazing it was going to be i was just i was so pumped and i can't wait to see like i hope she just does so much more because i know she's been booking some more shows um so if you guys hear of a show with katie cadaver in it go fucking check her out she is remarkable yeah um, yeah, phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to pose, because uh, I always like to end the episode with something fun. Um, we've been talking about Oingo Boingo. You brought up Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. I'm a moron and said Marilyn Manson in place of Charles Manson. <laughs> um, what do you think the appeal of shock rock or, like, goth rock is? It's something like, what... Is the appeal to, like, fueling a Halloween playlist, basically? Huh. I mean... Wow, I guess it's kind of tough. Um, I guess... Ugh, I mean... Are you asking, like, what my draw is to it? or just Sure. In general? Yeah, let's just okay. do that. Okay, because I was like, in general, I don't really know. Right. Because um, I just... I, I dig me some spooky shit. I don't... Because I... You know... When I was younger, I remember hearing Rob Zombie and being like, this is fucking awesome. A little just baby Jolin being amped about it. Probably didn't say fuck, but. um, (laughs) And then once I heard about Alice Cooper and sort of his theatrics, I knew that played into it a lot. I think it might be, honestly, for me, it might be kind of the theatrics and sort of like, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's, with a lot of those, um, music-wise, it's kind of the effects, and sometimes, like, they'll use samples of, mm-hmm. of like, old movies, which I always thought was really cool. Like, um, I just saw this movie, To the Devil, A Daughter, recently, and I didn't realize that that was sampled in, I think, it's either a white zombie or a Rob Zombie song. Oh, no um, kidding. It's a, to the Devil, A Daughter is a Christopher Lee movie. Um, I'll look that up. See. It's really fucking good. Oh, my God. To the uh, Devil, A Daughter? Yeah, To the Devil, A Daughter. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I think part of it was hearing a song where they would like sample something from a movie where I was just like, oh, I love this movie. This is awesome. And it's also partially just like knowing how kind of crazy those performances can be. Like even with Danny Elfman, how like 
his uh in any music video sort of the way he lip syncs is just over the top and ridiculous and that can be really sort of attractive like you can start to sort of dig that group just because they have such a weird front man um so i think black sunshine the white song yeah oh wait was it in black sunshine there are two songs okay i believe it it is not heresy and i will not yeah that's from supercharger heaven yeah that's yep Oh, the movie's title was also referenced by White Zombie in the song Black Sunshine, To oh, the okay. Devil a Daughter Comes. That's like that oh, opening okay. that okay. Uh, yeah. What's-His-Face narrates. Right. I didn't realize it was a Hammer film. That's all. I guess Christopher Lee's in it. Of course, <laughs> it was a fucking Hammer film. Yeah, it was really fucking good. It's eerie. Roger Ebert gave it a one out of four. <laughs> I will check it out, though. I don't tend to listen to whatever the fuck Roger Ebert has to say. That's, that's good. That's a good attitude. Um, no, I think uh, I agree with you a lot. The theatricality is a big part of it for me because that's, uh, that's what I loved about seeing John Carpenter live twice. That's what I fucking adored about seeing Rob Zombie live. Mm-hmm. Was it's like you just going to the weirdest midnight movie ever yeah. with crazy music and crazy uh, visuals and pyrotechnics and yeah. Well, know. I mean that's like with uh, with Alice Cooper, his whole uh, guillotine thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just he's been doing that for fucking years, you know. Mm-hmm. I, that was like that was the first concert I ever went to when I was fourteen years old. That is Alice awesome. <laughs> that's but, so cool. Yeah, no, and he's. He's just as killer live as you'd expect, even now. You oh know? yeah, yeah. He's such a rad dude. I think. Uh, I think it's the same people. Uh, same reason why people love horror movies too is is that experience, that excitement, that uh, just that uh, weird uh, macabre intrigue that we all secretly have mm-hmm. that uh, everyone's like Hollywood's like eh, it's dirty like you don't want to the horror movies are dirty things so it's <laughs> f- fuck that embrace it well and plus it's like with everyone's we're a culture obsessed with violence you know oh, so you yeah. might as well embrace it in a sort of safe in a very way. safe way yeah instead of being like going out and murdering people like, absolutely just turn it into a movie and use fake blood it'll be the same absolutely kind of. That's uh, or make a snuff film. Don't or do don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, about. That was a great show. I think I think we're gonna call it. Uh, Joe Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on Monsters at Midnight. My pleasure, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we will be back sometime uh, in December, probably. Uh, I make no guarantees because with New Year's and winter break and Christmas and Hanukkah, yada, 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 no one actually celebrates Hanukkah that I know. Uh, But we could start. So it's going to be busy in December. If we don't get an episode out in December, uh, don't be shocked. Uh, I would like to get one out because I'd like to dedicate an episode talking about Christmas-themed horror movies, which yeah. I might uh, need to bring you back on for because I know Graham's not going to have anything to talk about that. I'll talk about Black Christmas for a half hour. Fuck yes. All right. <laughs> if we do a December episode, Jolyn's probably going to be ba- be back, just so you know. Um, or I'll kick Graham out. She'll be the new ho- co-host. Um, but yeah, uh, this was Monsters at Midnight. Thank you so much for watching. I'm your favorite escape madman loose on the airwaves, terrorizing your eardrums, Matt Schaefer. We return to our crypts now and slumber until the morning sun sinks back down below the horizon to emerge and wreak terror on the streets once again. Have a groovy evening.
Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Mini bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.